Hey man, hey man, hey man, hey man, hey. Happy to be here with you all. Today is going to be a quick little pod, a quick little pod. I just want to give y'all some of my thoughts on the finals, you know. Uh, just a couple of little things on the first two games. We're going to kind of key in on game two. I'm uh, going to key in on a couple of things that I picked up yesterday because I actually took some notes, you know, and I, I've not been taking notes as much um, as I normally do because I've just been watching games a little bit differently. Not going to lie to you, not been here to give you all the most in-depth, you know, breakdown of the game, but kind of talk about storylines and hit some of the wave tops. But it was fun to sit and watch the game yesterday and really break it down. And one of the first thoughts that I had, man, is what a top NBA draft pick really looks like. You know, when you think about a top three pick, oftentimes you think about a a Magic, a Bird, a Shaq, a LeBron, a Hakeem. You know what I mean? You're thinking about your high end, your one percenters of the league. But oftentimes a top pick looks like Marvin Bagley, Sam Bowie, you know, Markel Fultz, um, you know, somebody who doesn't pan out. But I'll tell you, what you hope to get in a top three pick is Alonzo Ball, a Brandon Ingram. Let's look at this series. An Al Horford, a Jalen Brown, and who else? Andrew freaking Wiggins. Because drafting is an inexact science, and your once-in-a-lifetime players come once about every five years. Just because a player's a number one pick, a number two pick, a number three pick, a number four pick, a number five pick, a lottery pick, does not mean that this person is a once-in-a-franchise player, a once-in-a-generation player, a once-in-a-decade player, a once-in-a-lifetime player, a centerpiece in which that you will build your franchise around, your championship franchise, because you can build around these guys, but you'll probably be probably be back in the lottery again picking, you know. Basketball unlike any other sport ask its players to change their roles almost immediately when they've never done it before. Because see, you can get drafted in the NFL draft and you could have been like the sixth best player on your team. If you're the sixth best player on a college basketball team, more times than not, you're not getting drafted. And if you do, it's probably in the second round on a non-guaranteed contract, okay? Where basketball is where we take the best players on each team, we draft them, and then we mix them up with a lot of the other best players who were on different teams And we put them all on the same team, right? So you get the best players from 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21. Hell, if you're dealing with LeBron, 2003. You know what I'm saying? And you take all these guys who have been the best player on their team for damn near their entire life, and you say, hey, go fit in. Now, the metric 
in which we usually evaluate these players is what? Scoring. Can they get buckets? Because not many role players are being recruited out of high school. Not many role players are being drafted out of college to go to the NBA. But there's a lot of stars in high school who become role players in college. There's a lot of stars in college who become role players in the NBA. And if you can find a guy who, let's look at Al Horford, what about five all-star games? He's been in the league for, what, 15 years? Had a great career? That's a solid number three pick. You take his teammate, another number three pick, Jalen Brown. He's made an all-star game. Now he's a 20-point-per-game guy. He's usually a good fourth-quarter scorer. He can play defense. He can shoot the three. He can get to the basket. You go, I don't know if I'm building my team around him. I don't know if I'm winning a championship with him as my best player. But I'll take him. He's good. He's damn good. And then you take their teammate, Jason Tatum. That's what you're looking for. The guy who you drop into the NBA, who's averaging 20 points per game, you know, now he's a first-team All-NBA guy, and he's leading his team to possibly a championship. He's leading them in the finals right now. You go, okay, that's what we want here, but that's not the norm. That's the anomaly. Now, you go over to Golden State, and you look at some top picks they have on their team. James Wiseman. Haven't seen him. But Andrew freaking Wiggins. Won't you look there? He goes from number one pick, rising star, going to turn around Minnesota to, okay, we'll pair him up with Cat, him and Cat together. Yeah, that's a good combo. Oh, now they got Jimmy. Oh, yeah, the future of Minnesota's bright. Jimmy leaves and you go, oh, man, he's not a one. I don't know if he's a two but he's he has flashes but it's just not consistent then he makes his way to golden state and we go oh he's gonna get traded soon he's overpaid he's overhyped and he's under delivered now he's at golden state all-star starter and serious contributor to a team who's three wins away from winning a championship why fit and environment matters So we have to stop looking at every top pick as a franchise changer, a culture setter, and look at them as somebody who's just going to come in and hopefully be good and have a long career. You know, rarely do you see a 20-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 22-year-old change a franchise like you saw LeBron do, like you saw John Morant do. Even like you saw Kevin Durant do in Oklahoma City with a lot of help. Most of the time you find guys who are all right NBA players. and They have a decent career. So temper your expectations. We like LeBron. We like MJ. We love Shaq because we don't see that often. So when you see it, accept it. But every draft isn't the same. Every number one pick isn't the same. Every number three pick isn't the same. And stop expecting LeBron because that's just insane. Now, you talk about culture and what makes teams go. 
and what makes players really, really work, right? That's what you have in Golden State and Miami. And I think the Warriors are a Western version of the Heat, the Heat 2.0, the souped-up Heat, a better version of the Heat. They just don't have the cool moniker of Warriors culture, right? But just think about it. They have a great culture out there. I mean, from top to bottom, ownership to GM to to coach, right? We would all say that they are a high-functioning franchise. Uh, They've drafted well. They've developed well. They've done well with free agents. You know, they've made some good trades. It's a well-run team, just like the Miami Heat. In recent history, they got three rings, right? Three Steph rings. Miami Heat in recent history have three rings, the three D-Wade rings. The coach, Steve Kerr, is in the conversation of best coaches in the league, just like Eric Spolstra. They have a nice blend of old and young players, vets, and, and young players that they develop. And the big thing is they develop talent. I mean, look at them. Both of them have serious contributors from the G League who play big playoff minutes for both teams, you know. You you rarely see teams who actually can work the G League properly and get talent. Maybe the Lakers should take some notes. But even look at their players. I can compare Steph to Jimmy. No, their games aren't the same, but they are the singular offensive focus player, right? You know, Jimmy's the only was the only person on the Heat who could consistently get a bucket. Steph is the only person on the Warriors right now who can consistently get a bucket. Then you got Draymond and Kyle Lowry. Yeah, they play different positions, but Kyle Lowry is, you know, he's a point guard. Draymond, he does set the table of the offense. Uh, Their offensive games were a lot better a few years ago, (laughs) but they're nasty players. They, they talk trash. They get into other players' heads. They play defense. They, they, they flail, they flop. They do all the little things to get under people's skin. Similar characters, right? Jordan Poole and Tyler Hero. They can go for three. They can go for 33. You don't know what you can get, but they are buckets. But they just ain't buckets every day. Inconsistent scores that come off the bench. Wiggins and Bam. Again, guys who play different positions, but, you know, super athletic When they show out, the team is probably going to win, but you can't, I mean, but you can't consistently expect to run your team through these guys and win get, and win a championship. But nonetheless, similar types of players. And then Clay, I couldn't really find a comp for Clay uh, because I think it would be disrespectful to compare Clay to a uh, bubble. <laughs> Dang, what's my man's name? Uh, I'm drawing a blank right now. It's the shooter, the shooter. I'm not going to call him Struess, even though low-key, that's who Clay's been. This playoff has been uh, Struess, but um, Duncan Robinson, yeah. I mean, Clay and Duncan Robinson, not what we expected. Duncan, I mean, we don't know why he's not making money, I mean, making shots anymore. Clay, obviously, coming off of injury. That was kind of a stretch there, but nonetheless, they're teams who 
play basketball differently. They actually utilize some motion, not just uh, isolation basketball and only the high pick and roll. Obviously, they both use it, but one single score, some supporting pieces. They play defense. They have a great culture. And, uh, yeah, I just thought that was a cool comparison. Y'all let me know how y'all feel about it. But for the next topic, man, we can go in so many different places. I mean, talking about game two, right? We can talk about the Celtics' many, many turnovers. We can talk about Golden State's electric third quarter. We could talk about the Celtics supporting cast not showing up. Hell, we could talk about Clay's shooting woes. We could talk about the referees having their imprint on the game, which we may do. We're actually going to. But let's talk about Dre. Let's talk about Dre Day. Because I think Draymond was the reason why the Warriors won this game. I think Draymond had his fingers on this game from beginning until the time he took a seat on the bench. He set the tone early. Physical play. He's talking. You know, he gets his technical foul uh, after his little run-in with Grant Williams, who Grant Williams is like a less talented Draymond wannabe, a more annoying, less talented Draymond wannabe. It, you know, it's almost like the Spider-Man memes pointing at each other, but then Draymond is like the 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 Venom meme because we all think Venom is way more cool than regular Spider-Man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But then he gets to Tech, and man, only in the NBA do we have a system that can remove our best players from the game. Only does... NBA media want to see good players not playing in games. I've never understood a sport. When we're talking about the biggest stage in the sport where people are calling for one of the best players on the court to not play. Huh? Why would you not want to see arguably the second best warrior on the court? I mean, I think the system itself is flawed. I've heard Daryl Morey talk about it, and I really fell in love with it. Why does the foul out exist? Yeah, in the NFL, if you get two personal fouls, you get thrown out of the game. But how often do people get two personal fouls? It's so much easier to get a technical foul than it is a personal foul. And it's damn sure easier to get that second technical foul than that second personal foul in the NFL game. Just think about that. We we only only in NBA, only in basketball, but specifically NBA, are we trying to get players removed from games? And people are like, well, that's a tech. That's what should have been double text, and he should have been out. Steve Javi comes on and says, no, let's contextualize this. Was the action worth removal from the game? No, okay, so no text. Who wants calls? I don't understand that. I understand that Draymond is annoying. He does things that people don't like. Uh, uh, He was referred to by Cal Hurd as the guy at the YMCA who dives for balls and talks trash the whole game. You know, the guy who just gets on your nerves. It's like, hey, bro, stop playing so much defense. Hey, bro, will you shut up? But that has an impact on the game. And if he knows how to use that to manipulate the game, then let him do it. Y'all figure it out. Like, play basketball. 
Like, play basketball. Don't we want to see the best basketball? Or are we so invested in the result that we want or playing the game the right way that we're calling for players to be removed because we didn't like how they were acting? Do I think his antics are extra? Yeah, sometimes. But do I understand it? Yeah. I'm a trash talker. I'm an agitator. A lot of stuff that Draymond does, I do in pickup. And people hate it. But it works. And I think that's a strategy that should be employed. And I'm happy that the referees didn't get in the way too much to try to stop Draymond from impacting the game because he definitely had a major impact. And we're going to see how the Celtics are going to respond. Because based on how they responded in the press conference, them boys ain't ready. Well, he gets chippy, he does this and that. He was trying to pull my pants down, you know, but that's just what Draymond Green does. We're not worried about what he does. We, we, if we just do what we have to do, uh, he, it won't matter. Okay, Horford. Doing what he does is win him three rings, won him defensive player of the year, got him on all-star teams, got him on uh, all defensive teams. It, it works. It absolutely works. And when he's been there before, he understands the physicality that you can play with in the finals and how the referees don't want to have a noticeable impact on the game. But I was listening to Bill Burr last week, and he was talking about the amount of influence that referees have on basketball games. And do they have too much influence on the games? You know, you think about it, they get two quick fouls on somebody, now they got to sit. I I mean, I saw one play that was egregious when they called the tech on Jordan Poole that they ended up reversing. The Celtics had a fast break. Why would you not let the play finish out, then call the technical foul? especially because you wave it off and then you go, oh, so now it's ball out on the side where they had the advantage for a fast break. I think that's too much power sometimes. And I know we need officials to like officiate the game, obviously. But I think there needs to be a different level of discernment from the officials. I think the officials need to understand that nobody has ever came to a game to watch an official. I promise you. Their own kids don't come to the games to watch them. They come to watch the players. The only person coming to the game to watch the officials is the person who's evaluating them. And they probably watch from TV. But it begs the question, you know, listen to Tim Donahue talk about, you know, what he was involved in and how he he painted the picture that he was the fall guy because he got caught, but he was a part of a larger racket so to speak and i don't think referees fix games i just think they control them he tells a story of how they decided to call a carry on Allen iverson well that changes things that may add four or five turnovers to the game that may take away six points from iverson that could be a 12 14 point swing that's the difference in the game. You know, if they call that if they call that technical on Draymond, double text. Well, Draymond's gone for the game. What impact does that have on the game? You get a team in the penalty. Now they're shooting free throws. And now they're looking to get fouled. Now they're getting easy buckets. What impact does that have on the game? I'm not saying that it should be pickup ball out there. Because you can't expect people to officiate themselves properly. 
But I think we need to take a look at how officials call games because the lack of consistency from game to game, from quarter to quarter, it, it I can imagine it's hard to play under. And when, you know, maybe a player and an official, you know, Chris Paul and Scott Foster, maybe go at it and that personal that personal vendetta is carried over because people are humans and that stuff happens. How does that affect the on-court product? Again, I'm not accusing anybody of fixing a game. But I do believe that there is a level of control that officials have over games, specifically basketball games. And on any given day, I think that they exert that. I think that, hey, let's call it loose today. Ooh, let's call it tight. Ooh, Golden State's down 2-1. Ooh, let's, let's, you know. (laughs) You know, just some stuff that I was spitballing. Finally, let me just close it out with a couple of of, uh, notes from the finals, NBA finals game two. Klay Thompson is a shell of himself. I hope he can recreate who he is, but I I struggle to believe that Boston is going to continue to play the way that they've been playing, uh, turning the ball over like the way they are, and having the inconsistency from uh, Tatum and Brown, uh, and not getting them playing well together on the same night. We need a clay game, and I know Steve Kerr is keeping Clay in because he still stretches the floor. You still have to respect him. He's been there before. He's done that, but man, I'd hate to be him because Clay's struggling. He was like four for 19. He stayed in for a good portion of garbage time to try to get a rhythm, and he still couldn't find it. I'm sure he's going to find it in one of these games, but is it going to be worth what he's giving you since he's not the same defender that he was, and now he's not the scorer that we expected him to be? Let's see. What else we got here? Robert Williams is obviously not healthy, but when he is, he is a problem. Golden State could get nothing at the rim with with Robert Williams in the game. Uh, In the first quarter, you know, the first half of the first quarter when Jalen Brown's going crazy, Jason Tatum's heating up, and Steph is struggling, you go Al Horford, Rob Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. They are just too long for the Warriors to do anything with. And then the way that the Celtics were penetrating the Warriors' defense, you're like, oh, it's about to be a long night. But it wasn't. Well, it was. It was just a long night for Boston. What else? Jalen Brown went cold. Don't really know what happened there. Uh, Draymond. You know, I was watching the 16 Warriors uh, yesterday, and it was amazing to see how they looked with a healthy Clay and Draymond, who was the once a better shooter. I mean, that offense was poetry in motion. It was so fluid. And it seemed like Steph was a better shooter back then. I'm not saying he was a better player, but it seemed like he was a better shooter back then. And I'm not saying Steph has fallen off. I still think he's a top five player in this league. I think he's going to win a championship and win a finals MVP this year. But it's like, damn. Look how great he was back then, and look how great he is now, and there's a legitimate conversation of, dang, did he fall off? I wouldn't even say fall off. Did he take a step back? Because <laughs> there's no fall off. Uh, let me see. What else? 
You know, they kept talking about Gary Payton getting it out of the mud. Mike Breen brought it up. I think Bill Simmons brought it up on the podcast today, and I think Draymond talked about it. And at first, I'm like, man, he's Gary Payton's son. But then I think about it. He is Gary Payton's son, and he was in the G League, and he came up, and then he went back, and he came up, and he's summer league, and came back. So I get it that he got it out of the NBA mud to get to where he is, and I'm not going to knock his work ethic. I'm not going to knock his talent because, obviously, he is a talented player, and he deserves to be where he is. But I, But I just wonder, I just wonder how many other players get the same opportunities he get without his name. Can't knock him for it, you know. <laughs> it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. Um, that's about it. You know, I, I just thought Boston was too sloppy with the ball. And honestly, when you turn the ball over the way that they did, uh, you ju- you don't deserve to win. When your best two players have 13 points apiece, you know, that's 26 points uh, from two players in the first quarter and you're down one, that tells me that you're probably not going to win the game. It just didn't tell me it was going to be a 20-point uh, 20 game at the end of it. But those are my thoughts, man. I, I may come back and give you all some more thoughts later this week. Uh, we'll definitely recap game three with Parlay Pete on Thursday. I'll have a podcast coming for you all tomorrow. Uh, you know, just a typical Big Babies podcast with no sports. We'll be talking. Hell, I don't know what we'll be talking. I got to go work through some topics now. Uh, y'all have a good one, man. Let's talk hoops, man. We big babies.